The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello and welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McEwen. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program today Rebecca Rhine. She's got a new book out and she joins us in studio. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Awesome. Your book is called What Waits Ahead is Way Better. And I thought you'd end it right there. But then, <laughs> no. And then you say, and way worse than you imagined. What's, what waits ahead is way better and way worse than you imagined. True stories of balancing joy and poo in life. Now, poo, <laughs> like Winnie the Pooh? No, like garbage. Uh oh, garbage. <laughs> okay. Uh, what gave you the idea to write this? Well, so I'm 46 now. I don't try to hide that. But um, as I age, I've come to this realization that life is just really incredibly hard. Um, it's also incredibly surprising when you. So we all have these scripts in our heads of like, life should be like this. This should happen. This should happen. And it just never turns out that way. So the less you can um, cement yourself to those ideas and just be free and and go with the flow, the happier you're going to be. You know that garbage waits for you. You know that something's going to be hard. Obstacles are waiting for you. But when you have an open heart and an open mind and and a spirit that welcomes it all in, it, it makes it easier to take a step forward. What's so hard about life? Well, (laughs) I guess really, I mean, it started to reveal itself to me when I was 13. Um, Mm, All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was born with hip dysplasia, which Mm -hmm. people say, oh, my dog has that. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of Labrador retrievers have hip dysplasia. That's a real thoughtful comment. (laughs) Right, right. No, I do hear that from people. I'm like, oh, great. Awesome. Um, But I had it so bad. I was born with it. I've had surgery when I was six months old. I was on a full body cast. Um, that didn't work. So when I was two years old, they did another surgery. So I was in another body cast. And then when I was 13, hey, why not another surgery? They did another surgery. And then I was in a full length body cast when I was 13, which, you know, that's an awkward time of your life as it is. But to have that added to it. Um, and I was just in the hospital a lot. And I just, the first time in my life, I really saw suffering. And, mm. um, you know, I, in my book, I wrote about how. It's like the the curtain of adulthood was was peeled back for me, and I saw what's behind the scenes. It's not it's not just Care Bears and and, and ice cream. It's like oh, there's kids suffering in this world. I I heard mothers talking about their kids with cancer in the hospital, and and things just really kind of cemented themselves in my brain of like this is not easy. And I had two months at home in a body cast um, just to really think about life. And there was no internet back then. That was back in 89, I want to say. 89, yeah. So there was no internet. There was no constant entertainment. I had a a small TV by my bed with um, a a stick with a hook on the end so I could literally change the dial (laughs) with my stick. That was my remote control. Um, But most of my days were just spent being contemplative, like overthinking life and really being sad about the challenges of life. So that's really when I started to to overthink life, probably, but I, I from that moment on, I really knew that life was a challenge, and it's a choice to choose optimism over pessimism and negativity. 
when you were 13, was that the one at the Cleveland Clinic? Cleveland Clinic, yeah. And, yeah. and they put you under and you had a hard time coming back? Yeah, I could not wake up. Yeah. I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. for a few days just like trying to open my eyes and seeing things that were blurry and then just being pulled under again and wanting so badly to pull out of it and I just could not. Um, and they finally realized, oh, she just lost way too much blood and they gave me a blood transfusion, which... They had predicted that might be the case, that I might need that. So my mom donated her blood before my surgery. So they took it out of the freezer, I guess, and then gave it to me, and I, I perked up immediately. So Five minutes later, you were eating a cheeseburger. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I remember that very clearly. Okay. Rebecca Ryan joins me. Her book is What Waits Ahead is way better and way worse than you imagined. And uh, you indicated to me... You get, put a little note in the book, and you said, this is geared toward women, but I hope you find value in its humanity. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, being a guy, that there's a lot here for guys. Good, uh, good. I mean, you talk about a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're from different planets, men and women, but it's true. <laughs> we, we spend a lot of time together, and, yep. and uh, you address a lot of issues that are pertinent to people like me. Good. So, Awesome. Not, I'm glad. It's not just... For women. And wh- why do you say that, that it's mostly for women? Um, I think because the men in my life, um, and this is no diss to them or no diss to women, men just tend to, they're blessed with the ability to let things roll off their back. Um, they don't think as deeply. Often I turn to my husband and I say, like, I'll be crying at a show that's on TV. It just hurt me so deeply and he's eating popcorn. I'm like, honey, doesn't that bother you? Like, don't you ever think about... I know people who are starving in Africa, don't you think about this? And I've got a laundry list of things that literally keep me awake at night. And he's like, I, God, I love that you're like that, but no, <laughs> I don't think like that. So, and that's how a lot of my friends are. They just think deeply. They, they, are, they feel the world so much heavier than men do. And I don't know mm-hmm. why that is. A lot of that really might be because of us, our own thinking, of women's own thinking. We think the bar of expectation is this high. And most men I talk to are like, yeah, no, I don't care about that. That's mm-hmm. on you. So I, we've got a, got a lot of work to do. Women do, for sure. But society as a whole has a lot of work to do to kind of take the weight off of our shoulders a little bit. So we don't feel things so much. But in the same breath, Feeling things so much is where our superpowers are. When we feel things, we let them bother us. They push us to anxiety. That anxiety is the next step to action. And I think women are kind of called to do that. Mm. Not to say that men aren't, but I, I just, the experiences I have, women are, are the warriors who who lead with their emotions. Um, they, they act quicker than men do because things bother us a bit more. Mm. Which I think sometimes leads to situations where women want to control what's going on. And uh, I've discovered over the years of of dealing with lots of humans Mm -hmm. that uh, we have these illusions that we're in control of things. And it's really tough when Mm -hmm. we realize over and over and over again that we ain't got no control. Yes. Yes, and that's literally what the book is about. When you can lean into that, the Buddhists have a saying, um, let me be a reed in the wind. So let me plant myself firmly here, but let me kind of sway and go with it. Um, It doesn't mean you're loosey-goosey, whatever, anything goes, you know, got my head stuck up in the clouds. It's like, no, I am today, this moment, right now is where I'm going to be present, but I'm not going to be so firm in my my 
my own stubborn beliefs that I can't see that this might be good or that might be good. You know, I've been divorced twice. I never never set out to become divorced twice, mm. but I have to find happiness where I am. I can't be stuck in that negativity of the past or what went wrong or why did that happen or why can't I have the life I imagined? I have to be blown away by the beauty of the brokenness. Like it's not just brokenness. It's like you thought you would be this way. You thought your life would look this way, but it's crazy and chaotic and now it's this way. And isn't this story so much better and so much more crazy than you could even imagine? And to be okay with that, that you're not in control. Why can't we have nice things? My guest is Rebecca (laughs) Ryan. Her book is What Waits Ahead is way better and way worse than you imagine. She joins us in studio today, actually doing some in-studio interviews after a long hiatus. And uh, she drove a ways to get here, so we appreciate that. I have a lot of uh, images of things I read about in your book, and uh, one of them really stays with me. And it's a, an image that is conjured up by that feeling of what we're doing right at this moment. Mm-hmm. This moment is different than any other. This moment is different. It's here. It's, it's here. only going to be here for a minute, mm-hmm. and then it's on to the next minute. And if we think about what happened in the last minute, it's a waste of time. And if we spend a lot of time planning for the next minute, well— Hopefully we'll get there. Right. You you talk about how you're working in a radio station in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was apparently a night shift. Yeah. And I'm overnight. guessing this is a commercial music station. Yeah, it was uh, the mix. So just, mm-hmm. you know, modern music. And you do it all night, and then you get on your bicycle, mm-hmm. and you ride home, and the streets would be pretty empty for Chicago. Yeah. And that really puts that image in my mind of just being there, being present, being so in that present. moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, to this day, it just, the the, the beauty is still so um, plastered in my brain of like, I knew, I knew all my friends were out partying all night, which I've never been into that scene, but I knew people were having fun and leading normal lives. And I was like determined to make it in radio. Spoiler alert, I didn't <laughs> because I ended up not liking radio and just all the hoops you had to jump through to, be, to become successful. Um, but when my shift was over, I would get on my bike. It was 5.30 in the morning, and the city was so quiet, just so peaceful, and it's right on the lake, so I would take take roads near the lake, and the sun would be rising, and the sun was the, the sky was just this orange color that was, you would never, ever see that during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I always divided up my journey into three different zones, and so I would say, okay, zone one is over, and pedal some more, and I'd reach the top of this hill, um, near Harry Carey's restaurant. I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. seeing the goofy sign. And I would stop at Harry Carey's on the hill for the light and just exhale. And then the hill would kind of spit me out to the zone three, the last leg of my journey. And just those peaceful moments were, and I, I still don't know why, like why it sticks with me, but being grounded in each moment just makes you appreciate ordinary moments like a bike ride. Yeah. I think we can all look back to memorable moments like that in our lives yeah. not just to dwell on the past but to just feel the pleasure of, of the simplicity of, mm-hmm. of being in in that moment and uh, I want to talk about some of these specific essays but uh, first we're going to take a break my guest is Rebecca Ryan and her book is what waits ahead is way better and way worse than you imagined on the book nook stay tuned 
Good morning. You're listening to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis, and uh, this is Southwest Ohio's musical home for joy, contemplation, and community. It's also the home of the Book Nook. You can only hear it on WYSO. And uh, Rebecca Ryan is here with me in studio. We're talking about her book, What Waits Ahead is Way Better and Way Worse Than You Imagined. Uh, let's talk about some of these essays. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, do you have one that you want to talk about, or should I pick one? Uh, I, I like aging is the best and the worst thing that can happen to us. That's, that's yeah. I think, one that a lot, a lot of people go, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm 46, and so uh, it's just so it's so easy to say, like, oh, it's just a number. I don't care, but I do care. And um, women especially, like we're taught, you got to be cute. You got to be attractive. You got to be skinny. And it's just like as I age, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not really any of those things anymore and that that's what defines me and I hate that and that's on me that you can say a society is set up for that but no I've decided to let society tell me that I need to be cute and young so I have definitely worked hard to, to look for women who people say oh people age gracefully I don't care about the gracefully I'm looking for women who don't dye their hair women who are out there just being confident and helping others um, so that's what I look for for my next stage in life, women who are confident and not apologizing for their age, not apologizing for their gray hair or their sagging body parts or wrinkles. It's like, yeah, you are who you are, and that is gorgeous. Not the fact that you – I think people become – they just run themselves ragged. They age themselves more when they try to look younger and act younger. So my goal for this stage of my life is to embrace it, but also give myself grace when I have days where I'm like, well, dang it, I don't look as good as I used to, because that's hu- human nature, I suppose. But I don't want to spend too much time in those waters. It probably doesn't hurt, though, when your partner says something nice about the way you look, right? Yes, that helps. Okay. <laughs> is he listening? <laughs> no. Are you listening? <laughs> but that does help. That's human nature to know that, hey— all right. I, look I have an observation. After years of suffering here on this planet, <laughs> I think that gray hair is about as sexy as you can get. Yes. I do. Awesome. I, I really believe that. And it's, maybe it's my own personal taste. But, I love it. But, you know, I, I think it's true. It's natural. I, I think it's funny when women on Instagram or whatever, they – they're like broadcasting that they're going natural and they're going gray and other women chime in and they say that's so brave like how is that that that's brave no that's not brave that's being you what's mm-hmm. brave is uh, feeding the poor or, or serving the homeless or having a conversation with someone from the opposing political party that's brave like not dyeing your hair that's not brave that's what men do every day i'll tell you what's brave not looking at Instagram. Uh, and I was going to follow it up with, I really don't do social media now. I've stepped away from it for a month or two, and I do not miss it. Well, I looked you up on Twitter today. I see you do have Twitter, but you obviously don't look at it very often <laughs> because I sent a tweet about you. Oh, that's I nice. Thought, I thought, well, is she going to notice this? I thought, no. No. Because I don't do much social media, I, just Twitter. Yeah. In fact, today is my anniversary six years ago today. I stopped looking at Facebook. Awesome. And I felt so much better. It was yeah. a, such a relief. It was yep. it was a time waster. I yes. didn't want to know what a person I haven't seen since first grade thinks about the president right. or, or what they had for breakfast or the fact that they're incontinent. I don't 
I don't want to know. I kind of want to know that. I'm not interested (laughs) in this stuff anymore. I'm never going to see them. You have uh, an essay in here about social media. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's people say, oh, I like keeping up with people. I like staying in touch. But what you're doing is you're just keeping up with the story of them. If I'm looking through my friend from high school, her, her photo album of her vacation, but I haven't talked to her since 1992, I mean, would I go into her home and, and go to her coffee table and look through her photo album? No, because I don't know her anymore. So what a waste of time to, to go vicariously through her stuff and, and feel like I know her and I feel connected or I'm keeping up with her. I'm not keeping up with her. I'm being nosy and just really feeding my own fuel of competition of, oh, she's successful. Oh, she's got kids. Oh, she goes on a nice vacation. That's the negative traits it pulled for me. Nothing more than that from Facebook. So maybe some people are more mature than I am. They can use it for good things, but it really it didn't do much for me. So I've definitely pulled away from it. You also talk about getting into that relentless cycle of mm-hmm. of saying something and then looking to see if somebody liked it <laughs> yes. and then you know being obsessed about how many likes you're yeah. getting and the whole concept of like like I can't I think deal. they should have don't like yes if they had don't likes I'd be clicking on that sucker I might even go back to Facebook yeah do they have that no oh, okay. <laughs> or they should have a button conversation starter like let's start a dialogue if Facebook can be the platform to to create actual real life connections. And I have used it for that before. I've, I've gotten into debates on Facebook and I've said, let's talk about this in person. That's the one redeeming factor it has, but who does that? I mean, 1% of the population is brave enough to get outside of their screens and actually talk about things. I just don't like how Facebook and all of social media kind of cloaks you in the safety of the screen. You hide behind the screen so you can say things that you would never ever say to someone in person. It's not healthy. Well, in these little towns like Yellow Springs, I know there's a group on Facebook that just really chomps on whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a subject or a, yes. an object or an individual and they just chomp on it. Yes. And I guess it's just brutal. Yes. And, and I don't look at it. I don't need that. Right. I, I don't. I, I think if you're not trying to build something, if, if you're intent on tearing things down, that you're really not doing good things for the planet. And, and um, near right. the end of the book, you talk about that looming thing that we all have around us that mm-hmm. we try not to think about, and that is what's going on with uh, our climate. Absolutely. And that's another example of something I feel so deeply. Um, we have so many distractions in life to take our minds away from serious things like we can go watch Netflix we can scroll social media we don't stop and for me maybe I take it a bit too far but I go into a grocery store and I see all this meat I don't know where the meat came from I don't know these farmer stories it's packaged in styrofoam it's gonna styrofoam does not biodegrade it's not recyclable so I when I go into a grocery store I almost have I don't want to say panic attack because people use that phrase so incorrectly um but I, my heart starts to race. I overthink, and I, I just I want to make better choices. So a lot of the book revolves around this idea of who I want to be is not always who I am. I want to be someone who does better, who makes better choices, who who doesn't eat meat, who 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 knows the farmers. Um, but I'm not. I'm a mom of. I have two kids, and my husband has two kids from a previous marriage. So we have four kids together. 
So I make choices that I'm not proud of, and I hate that. I want to be I want to be a vegetarian. I want to eat organic. I want to I want to have my own huge garden, which I do have, but I want I want to be more self-sufficient and really tune into the fact that my decisions shouldn't be just focused on what's best for me and my circle. Like these decisions I make have repercussions. Like I can't just throw away styrofoam all year long and not think about it. So in the book I wrote, what if all of this trash I'm creating were just parked in the front of our house for the next year? Mm. I would think twice. You have to see your pile of styrofoam and plastic and garbage. It's not it's not that complicated though. We just send it off and live our happy little country lives and I hate it. I want more accountability. Mm. Rebecca Ryan joins us. Her book is What Waits Ahead is way better and way worse than you imagine. True stories of balancing joy and poo in life. And um, you just mentioned your kids, your mom. Uh, I don't have any children that I'm aware of. <laughs> and um, I'm sure if I, if I did have children, I would be aware of them, but I'm not aware of them. So I don't know anything about this subject. And I see other people with lots of kids or a few kids or interacting with their kids, and I form opinions, Mm -hmm. but who am I to have an opinion about raising children? I know (laughs) nothing about it, but I I want to ask you about it. Sure. You're good at it. You've been doing it for a while. What's it like, and and what do you think about it, and Um, and what do you write about in the book? I'm not good at it. I'm curious about it. So that's what makes me good at it. I ask my kids, what do they need from me? You know, because each kid needs something different. Um, my son is 11 and my daughter is 13. So they need different things. Um, so I check in with them and I, I give them tough love. I don't coddle them, but I also remind them how much they are loved and valued. And I just make sure I have specific one-on-one time with each of them and, and tell them, like when I lose my temper, I say, I'm sorry, that was stupid. I'm a jerk. Just know that I'm human and I'm I'm learning. So can you forgive me? Because I do extend forgiveness to them when they mess up. So I remind them that the world does not revolve around you. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. We all are stumbling, broken humans who need each other. We need forgiveness. We need grace. And we need curiosity to to know how each other needs to be loved because it is different. Okay. You're an expert on raising children. Not expert. You're an ex- also an expert on <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> and, and this uh, marriage chapter, I think it's very strong. It's, it's called Good News. Marriage is easy when we're not idiots. Bad news, we're all idiots. Right. And, right. and you give a, a list of uh, 10 things that are, I guess, your mantra for yeah. for having a better marriage. And, and yep. uh, I think this this is good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's... It's stuff that I've not read about or, you know, done research on. I've done research by living it and by mm. making huge mistakes and by tuning into why did that go wrong? And Oh, because you were not being yourself or you were being selfish or you weren't listening hard enough. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting down writing that chapter. I was really conscious about what are the 10 things that I am strong at now, but the 10 things that also I could keep working at. Do you mind if we go over some of these specific things? <laughs> this first one, I think this is one of the the most powerful and and real things that I read. Oh, good. And I'm, this is not a uh, editorial comment that I'm making here about anybody's particular marriage. No, and, yeah, including yeah, my, yeah, including my own. I hear you. Uh, but number one is being right all the time 
is a lonely place to be. Right. Ain't nobody spooning with you when you're right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I, I don't remember that part. No, that's a little okay. side note in my head. <laughs> but we all fight to win. That's human nature. I want to be right because I am right. That's what my brain tells me, but it's not true. Um, when you soften yourself and your your soul and your spirit and you you kind of let someone else in, you have to see their point of view. I mean, that goes for politics, too. You, you can't always be like, oh, all those people are idiots. No, not all those people are idiots. They have a different lens than you. Mm. They have different experiences. Same with your spouse or your partner. They have a different lens, a different childhood, different experiences, different jobs, different walks of life. So you have to be curious enough to see their point of view and know that doing that doesn't make you softer. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you wrong. It means, again, that you're a reed in the wind and you're listening and you're you're showing them the vulnerability and love that you hope will be reciprocated. So once one person softens, it seems the other person also softens. So you're not too stubborn shells of people who are not touching anymore. Well, I grew up with a a very strong mother and uh, a couple of, of sisters who took on a lot of her, her attributes. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, one thing that that taught me was that women are always right. <laughs> Number three is if you're looking only for the negative things, that's all you'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good one, too. And that kind of goes back to wanting to be right. You want to be right. You want to say, oh, they're just this and they're just that. Well, if you're going to pigeonhole someone and put them in a box, that, that's all you're going to see. And that goes, again, for everything in life. If you're negative about everything, then everything's going to be negative. It's getting what you put out into the world. Number five, I think, is really important, particularly because working in public radio, you learn that gratitude is so important because mm -hmm. we are here because we have yeah. grateful listeners yeah. who appreciate our work. Gosh, uh, this absolutely. isn't commercial radio where they say, uh, okay, she's out of here. She has no future. Yep. It, this is a, a radio where people can be here for many, many years and be dependable, reliable voices. Yes. And, and people out there are grateful to that. Yep. And, and yep. Number, number five is uh, show gratitude and give compliments every day so it's a habit. Yes. We get into autopilot where we're like, well, of course I love you. I wouldn't be here if I didn't love you. Well, say it. Show it. And again, it's not an editorial on my personal marriage, but I've been in situations where you don't stop. You, you can't see each other amongst the chaos. You're, you're cooking meals. You're, you're paying bills. You're, you're working jobs that are destroying your brain. You forget to look up and say, oh, thank you so much for taking out the trash or... You know, you look cute today. Little things like that mm. are actually the big things that you can't overlook. I agree. Yeah. My guest is Rebecca Rhine, and we're talking about her book, What Waits Ahead is Way Better and Way Worse Than You Imagined. And uh, it's a, a great mixture of uh, sage advice learned from experience, uh, humor. Good. I like humor. Lots of humor <laughs> in here. And uh, just a... a would we call this a self-help book? Uh, what um, would we call it? Self-help sounds like I'm a professional. I'm just a person who wants to motivate people to have extraordinary, ordinary lives. So maybe a, li a life coach. Life coach, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never interviewed a life coach before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the goal really 
for me, I always thought, oh, I'm going to lead this extraordinary life. I wanted to go to the Peace Corps. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live, like mm. all these big ideas. And really, at the end of the day, I didn't want any of that. I just want a simple life. Mm-hmm. And I was sad about that for a long time. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a nobody. It's okay. I like being a nobody. I like digging in and finding these simple, heartfelt moments in life and just feeling connected to, to God, to people, to, to experiences, and just savoring each moment. I don't have to be famous for that. And 99% of us are not famous. We are just ordinary people being together and helping each other, and that's powerful. Love it. Well, it sounds like you found that uh, simple, uh, less complicated life. Yes. And it also sounds like through trial and error, you've found a, a good guy to be with. Yep, for sure. I, I Looked at your Twitter feed and I saw a picture of you two together. Oh yeah, yeah, uh huh. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I put on Twitter. <laughs> you two look, you look, two look pretty happy. I assume it was your husband. Yes, <laughs> yes. We've been married for almost three years now. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has two kids and I have two kids. And blending families from different different marriages is not easy. Uh-huh. Um, but we found ways and we communicate well and take it day by day. And, and it's a struggle when you have different communication styles. I'm more of a I'm a tough love. I direct tell it like it is mama. And he's more of a, well, all dads tend to be a bit softer and sweeter. And my kids know that I'm pretty mouthy and they're, they're going to know what I feel. <laughs> so we're very different, but it works. Peter, as we go into this next break, uh, can you cue up the theme to the Brady Bunch? <laughs> You're listening to the book nook on WYSO and we'll uh, be back with Rebecca Ryan right after this. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. I've been joined in studio by Rebecca Ryan. We're talking about her book, What Waits Ahead, is way better and way worse than you imagined. Rebecca, I think all of us think about maybe when we're not here so that someone will remember us and, and maybe mm. we'll, the memory of us will, will, will bring someone some joy or happiness or pleasure or knowledge or something. Yeah. Uh, we all want some kind of a legacy. But most of us are just going to be, rem- be remembered by a few people if yeah. we're lucky, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Absolutely. So, and you talk about this in the book. I do. Um, I, I was talking about if, you, if, you're, if you're living your life with the sole focus of leaving a legacy, then your life is not authentic. It's kind of selfish that you're only hoping to be remembered. You're not being, you're not present. You're focused so much on what kind of praise will I get? When in reality, the the things that weigh the most, the memories that weigh the most are, again, in the everyday connections of um, the the rituals you have, the customs, the the family outings, the tiny memories are what are going to live on for generations to come. It's the stories that your kids are going to pass on to their kids, your, your sisters, your brothers. They're going to pass those on to, to their kids. So it's not about having a monument, you know, and dedication of you. Again, 99% of us are not going to have a monument. But if we dig in deep, we will have those lasting memories that are special. And that's, again, back to the ordinary life. That's ordinary. It's okay. My name's not in lights. I don't want it in lights. That's stressful. When we were in high school, we used to like to go to this really old cemetery that uh, had graves going back in the 19th century, mm. which is pretty old for Iowa. And, and <laughs> it was a real kind of creepy, spooky place yeah. and it had massive mausoleums, uh, beautiful so cool. statuary, all kinds of just incredible uh, resting places. 
And we'd walk around and, and we'd look at these places and, and we'd read the names and, and we'd just go, oh, wonder who that was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I recognize a few names. Sure. Oh, yeah. The grade school's named after that guy. Yeah. And whoever he was. Yep. Yeah. Still means nothing to you. But right. to his right. family and those close-knit circles, there's stories that have depth. And that's what matters. And, and you dig in deep mm-hmm. to and the people around you. And they spend a lot of money yes. on this stone. Yes. On this yep. dead, sterile memorial. Yeah. When we're here right now, right at this now. very moment, mm-hmm. talking on the radio. Yes. This is our legacy, right? Someone out there is going to go, I heard Rebecca Ryan on the radio today, and I'm going to have to read her book because, by golly, it resonated with me. That's my hope as a writer. Um, I'll never be rich and famous, but when I get feedback from from readers who say, God, you just connected with me. You said the things I didn't know how to say. Um, someone, I, My book is sold in Waynesville. This woman, I don't know, she picked it up and emailed me and said, you have just helped me so much. And I was so honored. Like, I helped you? Who am I to help you? But amazing. And that's my purpose in life is to to look out for these moments, you know, just to, to truly help mm. and to offer, you know, things that I've learned through my mistakes. Well, hosting the show, it's always nice. I, occasionally, someone will approach me and say, gosh, Vic, uh, I just, I, I can't thank you enough for mm. interviewing so-and-so. Uh, I started reading so-and-so's books, and I just love them, and, awesome. they, and they've changed my life, and it's just incredible. Awesome. And, and I'll sit there, and I'll go, huh, I never interviewed that person. They must have been listening to Fresh Air. <laughs> but it's, Thanks, but, Terry. But yeah, but it's, but it's good to change somebody's <laughs> life, you know. Right. And, Take the credit. Yeah, and I'm always You're very grateful. I'm always very grateful. I, I, I don't say, I don't say, well, uh, gee, I'll look. Actually, I never, it wasn't I, me. I, I never interviewed him. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I accept the praise. Yes. Oh, yeah. Hey, changed my life too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so Rebecca, tell us how you got here um, as a writer. Oh, goodness. So it really. Wow. I think it started truly at Second City Theater in Chicago. I was working there. I was never on the main stage. I did sideshows. Um, and I also worked in the box office. And I heard about David Sedaris when I was working there. I had never heard of him. One of my coworkers gave me his book. And I was like, what? This is writing? You can write like this? Like very raw and real and so humorous. Um, and I read Irma Bombeck when I was younger. My mom had her books, and mm. I loved her sassy style. I never knew women could write like that. So that's when the first seed was planted. Then I read Irma. Then I read David Sedaris. And I was a radio DJ, and I truly was so boring because um, I was a, like a the mixed radio station. You'd play music. You'd sit there for 10 minutes and then say one line and play more music. You'd just sit there and sit there. Um, and that's really when I started to listen to my soul. And again, I don't know if it's God or my soul or my instinct, but I knew I had to do something more. I wasn't connecting with people. I was just a robot. So I went to grad school to study creative writing in Chicago. And that's where my hunger really began to tell my story and connect with people. Um, And I wrote a book in 2008. It was called Sunbathing and a Body Cast, all about my surgery and living life with optimism. Um, And I have been blogging since then here and there between kids and life. And then um, during the pandemic, I was like, all right, I'm going to take my blog posts and create a book. I'm doing this. I'm not saying one day. It's going to be right now. So I put a deadline. I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning often. 
I would skip dinner and just go to a coffee shop and write and just really immerse myself in it to make this a project that I was going to finish. And again, I don't even know why. I know I'm not going to be a famous writer, but I just knew I had to do it because my soul is telling me to, to keep writing, connect with people. This book originated as your blog? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's at RebeccaRine.com. Okay. Um, and again, the blog is about typical, there's similar topics that are in the book, um, aging, spirituality, my quest for spirituality and curiosity, um, parenting, marriage, living a simple life, things like that. And a lot of talk about not, not just feminism, but um, the stereotypes of feminism that all, all, all feminists hate men and we're just all angry. And it's like, no, I love women. I love men. It's about humanity. And in the book, I said feminism should be turned into the phrase team humanity. I'm totally team humanity. I want us all to succeed. And it's kind of to fix that stereotype that feminists are jerks. That's, that's a part of my book as well. Well, I like the fact that you really don't pull your punches. You, you say what's on your mind. Mm-hmm. And you say it in, in a nice way. But you say stuff like, you describe being an adjunct professor mm, and, yeah. wh- and what that is. And, yeah. you, and you don't dance around it. Nope. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bottom feeder mm-hmm. who just tries hard to, to, to rise above and rise, uh, climb the ranks and become a full-time professor. Mm-hmm. At one time, I was literally on food stamps. I wrote an essay for an academic journal called Professor Food Stamps because I could not feed my kids about being an adjunct professor. So I had to jump ship and... Um, go back to corporate America, basically. That's crazy. Yeah. And you worked in corporate America. And uh, this is uh, nightmarish, your description of working at this, was it some kind of an investment firm? Investment firm firm in Chicago. I won't say the name because it's very famous. Um, (laughs) It was just, it's like a fish out of water experience because I'm so not corporate. I don't, I don't, get into that stressful atmosphere of, come on, we got to sell, sell, sell. And this was a very professional, polished atmosphere on the 30th floor um, of a building downtown. And people were just so professional. And I just felt like a third grader wearing high heels, you know, and a blouse, which blouse, that that word never comes out of my mouth. (laughs) I don't wear blouses. But I just felt like I was playing dress up every day. And um, I, I did not enjoy it. But I thought, hey, I'm an adult. I've got a child now. I've got to do this. That's what adults do. We're miserable. Right? That's what we do. Well, you had a four-month-old daughter, right? Yeah. So yeah. so you're at work and you're trying to... Trying to press, pump my breast milk. And then there was a mothering room. They called it a mothering room, but it was a closet. Mm-hmm. Um, totally nasty. So I would go in there and, and pump and look at the picture of her because they say, oh, if you look at a picture of your baby, it'll induce more milk flow. Oh. Yeah, I guess. I, it made me cry only. I would just Aww. sit there with suction cups on my breast, sobbing and being like, why? Why is this my life? Um, and it was just another moment where I was like, all right, this this can't be your life. So that's when I jumped ship and I went to teaching. I had that offer for months and I was like, I can't do it. It's too low, too low paying. But I took it anyways because time with my baby was more important to me. Well, Chicago sounds like it was it was rough. It was rough. My dad was from Chicago, so we used to go there. And uh, I'm I'm just a country boy. I'd, I'd go to Chicago, and I was like, "Oh man, this is scary, this is a scary <laughs> place." And you worked at a restaurant there, and you talk about what yeah. happened in this restaurant. And yep. uh, you they were 
yep. sexually harassing you. They were, yep. And it's not a Chicago thing. It's just a... Well, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, I, but I that's to, where it happened. That's where it happened. Yeah, yeah. And they, they were... Because I, I speak Spanish, so I was speaking Spanish to people. And um, they they took that as me flirting with them. So then they would kind of crossed the line and said several things to me that were so inappropriate. So I reported them to my boss and my boss laughed and said, that's just how they are. That's just how men are. They're just goofing around with you. Stop being so sensitive, which that, that phrase, stop being so sensitive. I'm so tired of hearing that phrase. <laughs> the older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, I'm sensitive. That, that is my superpower. But P.S., you, you telling me, you know, you want to do this and this to me at work, that's not too sensitive. That's crap. And you should be fired. And they were not. So I sued them. <laughs> yeah, you got real sensitive. You hired a lawyer. Yeah, I got uh, real sensitive and I won. You, you made them pay. I did. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. And okay. then at the end, my, my, the, the judge pulled me aside and she said, I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm so proud of you. I want my daughters to have the same courage that you have. And I was like, well, there it is. There's the payoff. Yes. Yes. Mm. Ugh. Well, good for you. You got out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Which I do love Chicago. It's just a tough place to raise kids if you... Well, it's expensive, right? Expensive, yeah. yes, yes. And, and and you came back to Ohio. I did. And, and Ohio's better as far as yes. raising a family yes. for, for you? I'm a total nature girl. That's mm-hmm. where I feel my spirit most is in nature and seeing my kids grow up in nature. And yes, that's 100% yes. And the more technology gets involved in the world, the, the more I need nature to be louder than technology. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. Love it. Love it so much. My guest is Rebecca Ryan, and we've been talking about her book, What Waits Ahead is Way Better and Way Worse Than You Imagine. True stories of balancing joy and poo in life. And um, I like how you say poo. Poo. <laughs> I, I think I've juggled poo, but it was, I, I waited for it to dry out a little bit. Yeah, that bit. was a weird night. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think they were cow chips, actually. Yeah, cow chips. Yeah, we used to throw them like Frisbees. Nice. I, I, I'm from farm country. Yeah. Well, this, this I, I really enjoyed this book, and, and like I say, uh, it's not just for women. Good. I, I know that you wrote it uh, with uh, female readers in mind, but mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of guys could benefit Awesome. From your wisdom and from your thoughts in here. And uh, it's also funny. I, I, I love reading a book that's got some humor in it. Me too. Me and too. Uh, when you were with the SCTV, were you doing comedy? Um, at Second City? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I did improv. I also did stand-up comedy in Chicago, um, which was a total riot, totally fun. But you can't earn a living that way. Not the way I wanted to. I didn't wasn't interested in going on the road and living in poverty for years out of my car. I just didn't have the hunger that other comedians had. So I just kind of dabbled in it to challenge myself. Um, and I'll, I'll probably never do it again, but it's something that was, was fun for the time. All right. I'm sure since you've done that before, that as you're going through life, sometimes you'll say, oh man, this would be such a great yes. thing to joke about in my com- <laughs> my comedy routine. Yes. I wish I still had, did my comedy thing. Okay, here's your opportunity. Give us something. <laughs> Gosh, come on, let's let's. let's. <laughs> well, I have a file at home that I do uh, add to. Um, okay, tell. I've on. never I've never said this out loud, but um, so I watch The Bachelor at home, uh-huh. and I I get mad at the TV. I'm like, why why are people so obsessed with falling in love? And what if so women are like, oh, I want a nice fat ring. What if getting engaged you didn't get a nice ring but you have 
<laughs> you had to put dirt on your upper lip to show the world that you're engaged. <laughs> like, would that, would that fix the problem of jumping into marriage for a fancy ring? Put dirt on your upper lip to show that you're in love. That would make you think twice, right? Mm. <laughs> Maybe it's not funny, but it's thought-provoking. Mm, no. Original thing that I wrote on my computer, it wasn't dirt. It was something else. Oh, ooh. <laughs> Was it poo? It was. Oh, okay. All right. I, I like that even better. It's kind of a, kind of a stinky joke. It's stinky. Okay. Do you have any more material, or is that it? I have a bunch, but yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's well, in my computer. Like, come on, do one more. I don't think I have oh, any more. Come on, you think they can one? Gosh. I know you can. I let me think. Come on, you. <laughs> She's embarrassed. No, it, I is, really. Is it, is it that? No, that's the one I wrote. Some of it's pretty inappropriate. Uh, okay. But. All right. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put you on the I spot. I thought of one the other day, and now I'm blanking yeah, on it. Yeah, you weren't expecting this, I were you? I wasn't, I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been trying to book a comedian, a local comedian here on the show, and <laughs> I haven't had much luck. Uh, apparently, he's had COVID recently, oh, okay. and it's not who you think, folks. But, <laughs> but uh, I've been trying to book this comedian, and I uh, haven't been able to do it. So I guess maybe I was just hoping maybe you could fill in <laughs> that comedic thing for me because frankly I don't think he's going to be very funny if I do interview him. <laughs> Those parts of my brain are rusty sometimes but I still love a good joke man. I still I would love to perform again but it's just now that I have kids I would be mortified if they heard some of the stuff I want to say. <laughs> that makes mm, sense. Like mm-hmm. I just I did comedy before I had kids and so I didn't edit myself. I didn't think twice but now I'm like oh I wouldn't want my kids to hear that. So, is any of it uh, preserved? Are there videos or um, yeah? Tapes? There, there's one video on YouTube. It's under my previous last name, so it's Rebecca Ryan hyphen Stone. There's a video up there. Oh. Yeah, well, they're they're all hitting Google real hard. It's right pretty now. bad. They're out there right now going. I got I got to see this. Uh. I remember talking about how since the world is shying away from cigarettes, now people are going to carry miniature Care Bears on their shoulder, and that's going to be their stress relief. They're going to inhale the Care Bears. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. But it makes me laugh still when I watch it. I have really random ideas in my head. So, I, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> what, what's a Care Bear? What's a Care Bear? Is that a cartoon? Bless your heart. Is that Care Bear? Yeah. Is that a cartoon? That it kids, is. Kids from watch? the 80s. From oh, the okay. 80s, yeah. yeah. It was after my time. <laughs> Now, if you did Mighty Mouse reference to something yeah, like that, yeah. I would get it. But, but you can replace it with that. The Care Bear yeah. thing, I don't, I don't know what that is. Is is that like uh, the Ninja Turtles about that period? Um, I think was Ninja it? was after that. That was, was 90s. 90s. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. I've heard of them. Yep, yep, me too. Because I've been around kids. Yes. I, I've actually, in fact, I, I, when I used to date before I got married, I had these things, I had this list of things where I would say, I will never date a woman who blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And, and number one was, I'll never date a woman who smokes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then number two was, I'll never date a woman with children. Hmm. Okay, I was pretty pretty tough. Yeah. Because I didn't know anything about kids. I was, right. I was scared of, yeah. of being around them. That makes sense. And then I ended up dating a woman who not only smoked, but she had uh, five-year-old twins. There you go. <laughs> it was to- totally insane. I, I'm, I should have stayed with my resolution. Anything creative that you're working on right now? Um, so I'm just continuing my blog. Um, my next book, I do want to write another book. Um, right now I'm thinking about the whole idea of so much screen time in the world that we're not being connected with each other. So I have this title, a working title called Social Malnourishment. I just feel really 
malnourished. Like I don't have the connections that I crave. And I, I want to examine more of that. Um, I substitute teach sometimes at middle schools and in the high school. Um, and I see the kids, their brains are just so different now. They don't make eye contact. They're literally addicted to screens. And it's just, I really feel called and nudged to uh, to help help that. However I can, it feels a little overwhelming at the time. But um, I really want to kind of empower parents to to make better choices, not just make choices based on what other kids and other parents are doing, but to really remind them that that going out in nature, running and eating healthy and, and being responsible, those are much more important things than all this screen time and, and social media. Yes, I see groups of young children walking along and they're all looking at their, yes. their phones. Yes. They're not talking looking to each at, other. Yeah. They have these very kind of flat facial expressions. Yes. And I predict in 10 and 20 years that we're going to have institutions mm-hmm. with people in them that are addicted to their screens yes. right now. And yep. it's kind of a sad thing. But and there's more anxiety than ever. I think it's because people don't have the social skills. So when they do put their screen down and they go out into the world, it is overwhelming because they don't know how to deal with people. Mm. And it's I, that, that worries me a lot for the future. Well, Rebecca, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thanks for coming out to see us. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. My guest has been Rebecca Rhine, and her book is What Waits Ahead is Way Better and Way Worse Than You Imagined. You heard about it on the Book Nook. For the Book Nook, I'm Vic McCunis. Thanks, as always, for tuning in.